Welcome to the CBA Grain Exchange Podcast. This is your host, Luke Beckman, Grain Sales Manager for Central Valley Ag. During this podcast, we dissect the latest USDA updates and discuss other key market features. Every month, you will hear from different members of the CBA Grain Team on what trends we are seeing in the marketplace and solutions to current marketing challenges. Welcome back, everybody, to episode number 42 of the CBA Grain Exchange. We have Nathan Mangold with Advanced Trading back on today's podcast. He was with us back in February. Nathan, good to have you back. Thanks for having me, Luke. Last time you were on, Nathan, was the February WASD report and kind of sandwiched between the, the January numbers and planning intentions. And at that time, we had quite a discussion about demand and uh, really what the market was telling us at that time, uh, both as a commercial user and uh, maybe as a farmer. And you really did a good job describing that, you know, the market was inverted and uh, what does that mean to the producer? So uh, we're going to get your thoughts uh, kind of to update that conversation and refresh it now that we've gotten to the summer on the back end. But before we get there, um, let's start off with you real quick before we get into today's WASD numbers. Just a general crop report. You're stationed uh, in Illinois. If you could give the listeners just a sense of what the Eastern Corn Belt's looking like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in Illinois, we got the crop planted on time or if anything uh, ahead of schedule. So um, in this part of the world, we were able to put the, uh, the ground was fit and ready early enough uh, that we planted soybeans first and then planted the corn after for the most part across the majority of central Illinois. Um, since then, I mean, we had some rains in April, maybe early May, and then since then it shut off. And then the weather men are using the term flash drought. Uh, in some cases, it doesn't show up in the drought monitor, such as like uh, a Michigan that had a lot of previous rains going into spring. But in an Illinois, uh, we are showing up on the drought monitor again. Uh, we were, we got off, now we're back on. I'm going to be a glass half full guy. I think the crop looks better than I anticipated. I just recently uh, had a little bit of a drive through central to northern Illinois, uh, watching Anissa's softball game, and much better. It looked much better than I anticipated. There was a lot more corn close to being canopied than I anticipated. Um, and no, no doubt there are pockets uh, throughout the state that are showing stress. You, know, you take a picture at uh, one o'clock uh, at the high of the day, and you bet there's some corn that rolls. There's some corn that's not canopied. Uh, there's definitely showing some cracks in the ground. It's, you know, uh, you're seeing dust devils when you're out driving around checking crops. All the beans look short. Um, so, you know, all that typical is, are we seeing that major drought stress color in the corn? I, I can't say that I, I've seen that. Um, so today I'm going to go glass half full. The weatherman, uh, as most listeners probably know, we have a chance for weather or precip this weekend across a big portion of the Corn Belt, and then multiple potential chances midweek and then the following weekend. So those are important. Sunday night could be a, a really big deal for weather. Um, if, if the weekend rains disappoint and then the forecast 
midweek or the weekend or the next weekend look disappointing, uh, we'll definitely put some more weather premium back in the market. But again, we are we are definitely into a weather market here. Yeah, we get into those Sunday night forecasts and you could have you could have anything just depending on what they say. Absolutely. How much weather premium do you feel like is in, you know, we're talking June 9th on a Friday. How much weather premiums in these markets with December corn at 5:30 today? If we have anything close to, I think going from memory, advanced trading research trend line yield is more in the 178, 179 neighborhood versus USDA at the uh, today they were unchanged at 181 and a half. Very rare to see them change a May to June yield. When that typically happens, we have to have a really poor planting progress. Uh, and this year we planted the crop uh, ahead of schedule or on schedule. So that's the main reason why we didn't see a, a corn yield change. The Dees corn premium, if we're in the 178, 179 area, Dees corn today I think is about 530. It's probably headed to about four and a half if, if the current balance sheet estimates that ATI currently has uh, come come to fruition. Um, and again, that's not using the 181 and a half yield that the government thinks is is trend line. So well, based on that, that's 75 cents. Yeah. Well, okay. So based on that comment, would I be right to infer that this market is aware that it's dry, that potentially there is a little bit of weather premium currently bid into what we see on the screen. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're definitely seeing weather premium. It's yeah. And and I don't blame the market, right? I mean, if these weather, if if these precip events don't occur and we start thinking the yield really is 178 or less, you know, we'll we definitely need some weather premium. Okay. But you know, we still got we got a lot of the crop in front of us yet. Mm -hmm. Well, I, you know, I think that's been a conversation uh, here locally is uh, I think there's a belief that there is no weather premium in, in the current prices. And I, you know, we saw a pretty good, uh, good amount of short covering by the managed money crowd here uh, within the last two weeks, or maybe since the middle of May, mid to late May. Um, I would argue there is some weather premium in these prices. And if we, yeah, if we hadn't have been dry or the forecast hasn't been what it's been the last several weeks, you know, cert certainly feels like new crop corn would be in the fours today. So um, agreed. And we were not that long ago, right? Mm -hmm. Get yeah. below five for a minute. And Correct. You're right. So weather market, definitely weather market. We'll be watching the forecast and the market will respond accordingly. But let's talk about June WASD. Um, not a lot to discuss there today. Markets expectations coming in that we would see old crop carryouts get bigger for corn and soybeans. That's what we got. Uh, USDA did trim corn imports uh, from 40 down to 25 million bushels. As this uh, old crop corn carryout gets a little bit bigger, we may not. It may not necessitate that we're importing corn like we thought maybe uh, several months back. Uh, we did see exports cut by 50 million bushels, and those were the two adjustments that we saw. So net increase on the carryouts by 35 million bushels to 14.52. Stocks to use ratio up a skosh to 10.6%. Uh, no changes on the new crop side either. As Nathan, you mentioned, no changes to yield today, which is uh, pretty routine for the USDA. 
uh, typically don't see changes there until we get into the July WASD. Um, on the international side of things or the global balance sheets, we saw um, Argentine production cut 2 million tons. Brazil was up 2 million tons. So a cancellation, you know, those cancel each other out. And then on the exports, uh, Argentina cut two, Brazil up two. Uh, and interestingly enough, Ukraine exports up a million and a half tons to 27. So I'd have to go back and look at where the initial May estimates were a year ago. Maybe you've got that number handy, Nathan, on where the USDA pegged Ukrainian corn exports at that time. But we have methodically and consistently seen Ukrainian corn exports, at least from the USDA's eyes, go up pretty much every report that we've had dating back to last summer. So it's almost like that's an important thing to talk about because I think the market's psyche around Ukraine probably mimics what we've seen from the USDA in that we just get more comfortable that grains coming out of that region mm -hmm. as, as we go. So those were kind of the report highlights today. Nathan, what stood out to you on the corn side of things? Yeah, you, you definitely hit some of the highlights. Uh, the exports down 50 they potentially have at least another 25 million to go, maybe as much as 50 million bushels. As this Brazilian record large Brazilian crop that you mentioned at 132 million tons, as that starts to come onto the market, uh, that'll be mainly last half July forward. So we're gonna lose a lot of our export share during that timeframe. So short term here, the next three to four weeks, We'll keep exporting some decent amount of corn. And then when Brazil, uh, the pipeline gets filled down there and they start hitting the market, our exports are going to drop significantly. So at least 25 million, uh, potentially more than that on the export front. We also have ethanol about 50 million less than where USDA is at just from a demand perspective. Uh, so they have a little bit of uh, a downward uh, there, which would build our carry out uh, higher. So overall, ATI research is about another 50, 60 million bushels higher on our carry out, just above a 1.5 versus eight or USDA at, at 14.50 today. And the question that we have in our office that, that we talk about on a weekly basis is, is that export number even going to get worse with the amount of exports coming out of Brazil? So that, 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 that'll be seen. So that, if anything, our old crop carryout is getting a skosh bigger than, than what we even think, which is even quite a bit bigger than where USDA is. In the world production, um, yeah, you're right. It, it is interesting to see Ukraine uh, one and a half, so they had a, a one and a half million bigger increase uh, in stocks, which led right to exports. And then this next, crop year, the crop that they're currently planting, uh, they raised production two and a half million tons and then again took that right to exports. Boots on the ground, reading uh, a report from a cash broker that uh, lives in Odessa, trades nothing but black sea grain, uh, kind of agrees with that that type of a production number. Um, so, but the, the wild card of course is what actually does get exported out of Ukraine now this grain corridor that's currently in place is expected to expire mid-July, I believe. So we're back to playing politics again as we approach approach that. Does 
does this corridor get extended? Um, you know, we've got Turkey involved in this. They just had presidential elections that had to go to a runoff, which I think created some chaos around the last uh, corridor agreement. And they're, now they're going into economic turmoil. Their, their Turkish lira is at a record low versus the U.S. dollar. So there's just a lot of stuff going on over there. Everybody saw the dam get blown up over this last earlier this week and, and the ammonium pipeline that got damaged, you know, who did what uh, is all in question. And, and Russia, of course, blames Ukraine. Ukraine blames Russia. Uh, so, you know, obviously there's some big negotiations that will happen again in about, you know, 30 days or less uh, as they try to extend that corridor. Um, I guess my personal bias is that they'll probably extend it. I think uh, Russia needs that extended because they need the favors that go along with extending it every time. But if that gets cut off, you know, all of a sudden we lose one of our top five exporters of corn in the world. So that could be a big deal. That's that's a, a big unknown for it's politics, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I think people continue to point. We hear that from producers. Producers can uh, continue to talk about issues in Ukraine and, you know, why isn't this market going higher? That war is still going on. Uh, just to give you a little color, I mean, USDA has production forecasted for next year, which you mentioned, Nathan, they bumped two and a half million tons today at 24.5 MMT. And two years ago in 21-22, before the war started, uh, production was 42 million tons. You know, so we're a not quite half, not quite half the production of what they were growing a few years ago, pre-war. So, I mean, it, it, it is having an impact. If we look at those numbers, it's a great observation. So we've got an, you know, about an 18 million ton drop. And in the same breath here, we took a, a Brazilian crop from a 116 to a 132 to help offset some of that. And more importantly, the, the big picture that happened this year that we discussed back in February was the, the demand picture and what that felt like, and it didn't feel good. And we kept asking those questions of where, where are the buyers? Why aren't we seeing more buying come to the U.S.? And two years ago to this year, we dropped world domestic consumption of corn approximately 40 million tons. That's a 1.6 billion bushel drop in demand. That's more than our entire carryout is expected to be this year. And that's the big weight I think this market felt. So as Ukraine and Russia went into conflict, did we see some world hoarding a year ago? And then as we moved into this year, were, were there a little excess supply out in the world. And then also we had a record large Australian wheat crop, a record large Russian wheat crop. So the world started getting flooded with wheat. And I think Asia uh, is using a lot of feed wheat uh, as well. So this corn export picture does not look good. You know, going back to the Brazil crop size and their exports, um, South Korea bought a couple boats this week for October delivery. So October delivery or early no. So that should be harvest time frame for the U.S. That's our cheapest corn of the whole year, theoretically. And those boats did not trade out of the United States. 
So I just repeat that. One of the number one importers in the country did not buy corn from the U.S. in October. They bought it from somewhere else. That's what the demand picture looks like. I feel like that's the bucket of cold water. We were having that conversation in this office uh, this week, um, having the yield speculation talks, right? For new crop, 181.5, no way, no way. You know, it can't be that um, it's too dry uh, or six bushels less than that, whatever. Um, it feels like the demand is the bucket of cold water on any type of production cut that we may see materialize. Let's say we do take, pick a number, five, six, seven bushels off the national average. I'm looking at exports, Nathan, at 2.1 billion bushels for next year. What are your thoughts on that number? It's suspect. So the, the part of the question is, you know, as we went through this, recessionary demand this current crop year of losing 40 million tons. The USDA has that right back to where we were. So rebounding that 40 million tons for this next year. Is that demand going to actually be there or not? That that's a that's a little bit of a question. And given how large that Brazilian corn crop is, if they produce a normal crop again for next year and it Will Argentina have another drought next year as we switch into El Nino? Probably not. So we'll have the, the production rebound in Argentina. Uh, yeah, it, 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 overs or unders on 2.1 billion, you're gonna take the unders I think today. So will demand rebound? You know, you know, as we all hear that the old say, if China catches a cold, uh, a, China sneezes, the world catches a cold and it seems like their economy's kind of not rebounding back from the COVID uh, shutdown that everybody anticipated. We're just not seeing that raw material demand that everybody anticipated. So does does that 40 million tons of corn come back? Argentina should come back. You know, can the Brazil safrina crop next year grow a normal crop again? We're just that cycle away from just too much stuff. And then all of a sudden the U.S. becomes like we are in wheat the residual supplier of corn until somebody else has another production problem. That triggered a thought, um, the last two things you just mentioned. Uh, and I want to talk about Brazil for a second. Been reading, uh, we all know that they had a really large soybean crop this year. We'll get to that in a minute. What were they, 150 plus million metric tons on their beans? Mm -hmm. um, and the producer is storing that crop yet. And we've got a big Saprina crop that's being harvested now as we speak or starting to. Uh, and we've been reading about really cheap corn prices in Brazil. And we also had really cheap soybean prices in Brazil uh, several months ago when we saw interior basis, uh, what, several dollars under, right? 200, 200, uh, 200 under. Um, how, how does that impact the American farmer if the Brazilians don't have the space or the infrastructure to tuck a big soybean crop and a big corn crop away. What are the ripple effects in the next six to 12 months? Yeah, good question. So just, just like we have here, if we have a record production, where do we put that stuff? And we can get to that point of where 
you know, the, the our local elevator bid gets cheap, right? All of a sudden, your local location, instead of putting corn in upright space, has to go to purge space. We got we to gotta put stuff in bunkers. We got to put stuff on ground just to handle your crop. That costs more money. And that is what Brazil is dealing with. So they're coming off a record Brazilians, record soybean crop going right into a record corn crop. So how do we make space? They shoved the beans into the market, which took the basis down to record low levels. So it was any price to try to, you know, find find truck, barge, rail, whatever they could out of Brazil to put that on a boat and have China take that. And then at the same time, China changed some import regulations. So they had some boats stacking up at port, which just put more pressure on that FOB Brazilian soybean basis, unfortunately for the Brazilian farmer. So long story short is that cheap bean basis there is they tried to get ahead of the corn harvest. And then now uh, that farmer down there is like once they've kind of put those beans away and get ready for corn harvest, they're going to focus on pushing that corn out. And over the last week, we have seen uh, maybe four to six boats from the U.S., soybean boats from the U.S. get sold for August shipment. We think those are going to EU. There may be some biofuel stuff surrounding that. Uh, but in general, um, we were able to capture a little bit of business as they transition to go well, now we got to focus on this big corn crop and they're going to shove this corn crop out at very cheap values, which July, last half July, August, SEP will be harvest type levels. And again, they're, they're stealing our business already for October to Asia. The bean crop, they just tried to get put away ahead of corn harvest. Then they'll deal with the corn issue. And then after that, it's they'll probably, they'll continue to have some lingering exports on soybeans, probably clear through our first quarter, which is SEP Ocnove, so that we expect Brazil to compete to a, a degree against U.S. exports this fall on soybeans even. And our total first quarter exports of corn and beans combined may only be about a billion bushels, which is small on, on, on the scale. If you looked over the last 20 years, if we get to a billion bushels or less, we're not having a good export quarter for fall harvest and that's what it that's what's going on out of south america is they don't have anywhere to put that so they got to push it into the export market sure i'm sure they'll continue to expand space um maybe not at the rate that we might anticipate in the u.s maybe just due to capital availability um mm -hmm. all the things um does that impact farmer decisions a little quicker in South America, just, you know, you had a really cheap beans. Um, they're probably gonna have pretty cheap corn, even though there's a lot of it. Um, does that impact the South American producer? And do we, do we see them plant something else? Do we see them go away from corn just because the economics don't work? Yeah, good question. So, short term in, in the current crop cycle we i think last i saw they're estimated to be about a third sold on the safrina corn crop that they are starting to harvest right now which most of that will be harvest in july 
Um, so they have two thirds of that crop yet to sell and hit the market. So kind of yellow flag there, I'm waving to the farmer as, as I say that. There's a lot of crop down there to get sold yet. Um, and you're right, then all of a sudden it, it uh, in, in the new crop or the crop that they're getting ready to harvest in some portions, they're down to, I'm going to not say this correctly, the terminology they use down there, but they're down to some sort of a loan level in that part of the world. So in some states, so there may not be some corn. That may be another reason is why they're not selling as much corn currently for new crop as uh, they're down to these loan levels. So they don't have a lot of downside risk in some portions of, of Brazil. I have heard to your point uh, going out forward when you look at what will they plant in their first crop corn versus soybeans that some farmers are making some different decisions there based off of economics. Um, but again, that in terms of next year, the majority of when they plant corn, that's the safrina crop, the second crop corn followed, they plant following soybeans, that crop size won't change. Uh, they'll plant, that, that'll still be planted. Um, we don't expect smaller acres on that, you know, weather dictating, but most likely a, a steady to increased on acres and a potentially, I think USDA, today's got Brazil, well, next year they have a 129 just because they're going back to more of a trend line type yield uh, versus the 132 crop this year, but it'll be a, a potentially another very big crop. Sure. Okay. Well, we're kind of clinging to the U.S. weather forecast, then the impacts of <laughs> demand uh, continues to be a little bit suspect yeah. as we cycle through, um, well, the commodity cycle in general after a few years of high prices. So, okay, good comments on, on corn. Let's jump into soybeans. We had those intertwined in this conversation, so we've covered some of it, but let's talk, let's talk WASD report and what we saw today, kind of like the corn, pretty quiet. Uh, we saw exports cut 15 million bushels on uh, the old crop side for U.S. beans. That raised the carryout by a like amount to 230 million bushels. Stocks to use ratios at 5.3%. Uh, no adjustments to the new crop balance sheet other than a higher carry-in uh, by 15 million bushels. So acres 87.5, 52 bushel per acre yield that was uh, originally released in their May report a month ago. Uh, stocks to use on new crop would be at 7.9%. Um, looking at the global balance sheet, a little bit similar to corn, we saw Argentine production cut 2 million tons to 25, Brazil's crop up 1 million ton to 156, um, saw some domestic crush revisions for those two countries, otherwise pretty quiet on the global front um, on the soybean side, so not a lot to discuss changes-wise, but uh, your thoughts on the soybean market here, Nathan? Yeah, so USDA's at a 230 carryout. Advanced trading's closer to 300. Either number is very tight. So it's uh, from a basis and spread perspective, just cash tightness. Um, that's what the market is experiencing. Uh, both of those uh, imply that uh, we'll, we'll be trying to sweep bin bottoms here for the balance of the summer. Um, but you're right, big picture, there was from a macro fundamental perspective, no major changes. We did see, uh, let me look here, soy meal 
production was up uh, a little bit. Domestic was domestic demand was down a touch, and exports were higher. So as with the Argentine drought being as bad as it was, we've had great export sales recently. That probably continues. We'll have compared to history, we'll have good weekly export meal shipments for the balance of the crop year. Uh, the domestic demand down some based off of some of the livestock numbers and some to do with uh, just competition from DDG uh, that we're seeing. So otherwise there, there was no changes in the soybean oil balance sheet. Uh, but again, back just back on, you know, well, why were beans higher today after this report if there was no news? Well, remember this morning we started off with a couple more boats announced to uh, unknown, which we believe to be Europe again. Last week's sales report showed a boat to Germany. Then we showed a couple boats get traded to Spain. Um, and then uh, the couple boats this morning to unknown. We think that is all August shipment. You know, Europe needs the soy meal with Argentina unable to uh, export as much meal as they have in the past due to their drought. And then maybe some biofuel stuff in there. Uh, it's potentially if they're U.S. beans, uh, maybe they're able to ship us uh, soy oil back or biofuel back um, with this uh, renewable diesel craze that we have going on at the moment. Um, so yeah, fair, big picture, fairly quiet. It's, I would say short term here, it's not necessarily as much a flat price movement in beans because the Brazil crops known, right? We make the U.S. beans in August. So to me, the short term, it's, it's, uh, put my elevator hat on and it's it's going to be basis and spreads that kind of drive drive what we do going forward in the short term till we till we see those August rains. It feels like that out in the country as well. Um, it's all about corn right now, whether it's old crop, new crop, soybeans um, are a little bit of an afterthought right now with the producer. And I think part of that is we're, we're pretty disengaged um, from cash levels that that are relevant. I think we're pretty far away from engaging the producer. Um, a lot of the old crop beans are cleaned up, you know, new crop. We're just, we're kind of far away from where we need to be. So uh, just not a focus right now for, for the producer crowd. I think everybody's really curious to see acreage information. I think June 30th, you know, we were talking prevent plant in the Dakotas, um, you know, 60, 40 days ago. And uh, that's probably changed. I mean, you, we talked about that a little bit, Nathan. I just don't think the prevent plant, it wasn't there. I mean, I think the crop got planted, didn't it? Yeah. There's no reason to have prevent plant on soybeans. So tomorrow, June 10th, is the first prevent plant date for North Dakota. And they've had plenty of time to plant beans up till now. On corn, there were some pocketed areas uh, that uh, did take some PP and from the macro picture, you know, it's it's definitely less than a million acres. Is it more than 200,000 acres? Maybe. It's probably somewhere on the lower end of that range would be my bias uh, out of that area. So, you know, I'd probably lean somewhere in the three to 400,000 acre area that we may see. But again, back to the demand destruction that we talked about on corn, probably trumps losing three, 400,000 acres. And then it's, again, it's right back to watching this forecast. Okay. 
Okay. Well, let, let's uh, let's talk strategies here a little bit. That's a good rundown of corn and beans. We got some really good commentary on the global front um, and just some things that are going to impact uh, the new crop side of things for the U.S. going forward in the next 12 months. Uh, let's just talk corn, practical. Uh, you got old crop in the bin as a producer. Uh, what's your move here? And then uh, new crop side of things ahead of June 30th. You bet. Real simple on old crop corn. Um, I can't make this more clear to the producer. The July futures versus new crop futures is an 80 cent inverse. You 110% need to price all of that old crop corn and just hit the easy button. If you're worried that it doesn't rain in Illinois for the next 30, 60 days, we need to buy corn calls against that. We should have some portion of our old crop. And my bias would be I'd like to have, personally, I'd like to have 25 to 30% of my old crop still in calls as I approach pollination. So today, if you don't have corn calls bought, I'd probably lean towards the August calls. So that, and the reason why I'm picking on August is because that gets us through pollination. So today you could buy August uh, SEP futures. So August calls go off of SEP futures. Mm -hmm. So SEP is at 525. Um, you can buy vanilla 540 August calls for less than 20 cents. You can buy the 550 call for 16 cents. I would pick something in that neighborhood and just make sure and re-own re a portion of that old crop. But as you guys have seen already, what's the cash basis done at your local elevator or ethanol plant? It's gone down mm -hmm. and it's going to continue to drop. Yes, can we see some volatility over the next 30, 60 days? You bet. And what's the job of the market? We're going to converge old crop cash corn down to new crop eventually. And I know it's only June 9th and I'm saying that, but we've already seen a ton of work done in the market already. So why do we want to fight an 80 cent inverse? I'd rather, I'd rather put that 80 cents in my pocket and go spend a small portion of that and buy that, buy that call, con convert that to a minimum price contract at the elevator. So again, just hit the easy button on the old crop, uh, buying the old crop August call. And um, then as, as we mentioned earlier, that allows you to focus 100% on new crop. And, uh, you know, as, as we started off this conversation with how much weather premiums in this market, and if we have anything close to the 178 type trend yield the research analysts are using, or if we even come closer to the 180 plus USDA type number, there's definitely a uh, potential downside in new crop corn and um, we're at 530 and, and and using 178, there potentially could be 75 cents of downside here in central Illinois. That's worth about $175 an acre that we have at risk if we were to head towards about four and a half dollars. So there's a lot of equity uh, for the producer to protect on new crop as well. So whether you want to do that through uh, selling new crop cash or a hedge to arrive, um, then, then coming back and buying a new crop or a dece corn call above the market to protect that, and or uh, you can you can do a put option, uh, something below the market to protect that in case in case we do drop lower. Okay. 
Well, I like the simplicity and the strategies and, you know, that old crop. I like the way you, you put that. There's, there's no reason to give up 80 cents a bushel on any old crop inventory that's remaining. Really, your advice is get rid of the physical risk. If you want to maintain old crop participation, do it on the paper side of things, the futures, um, and in a limited or a known risk fashion, which is the call option route, as opposed to outright futures or basis contracts. Yep. Good. Um, same question on soybeans. Um, I don't know that there's a lot of old crop beans out there, but there's probably a few. Let's address that and then uh, get your thoughts on the new crop side of things. Yeah, so new crop, it's, it's a very similar picture as corn, except uh, bigger, you know, 80 cent inverse in corn from old crop to new crop in beans, it is a dollar 80 a bushel. So holding beans through an inverse, uh, is going to cost you a dollar eighty a bushel, just in the futures alone. Not to mention, you know, when we get out the new crop values, um, without looking at CVA's basis, I'm going to guess they're probably somewhere in the sixty under neighborhood for new crop. So, why would you want to hold old crop bushels through a dollar eighty inverse and wait till new crop? So, again, uh, sell the old crop. I know there's not much left out there, but it's. We're at the stage of sweep the bin bottoms and get them brought in. Um, if if you don't want to sell the physical, put them at least on DP and get them get them swept up and brought in. Um, it'd be a more advantageous for the farmer to sell the cash. And and if we want to make sure to have some upside again, I'm going to hit that easy button and go with you know August options uh, expire ahead of when we're going to see the August rain to make the bean crop and across the U.S. So a farmer's got to look at doing something in either a SEP option or even, even just buy in November calls, maybe even some of that against your old crop beans, kind of combined your new crop and old crop position together. And one, one could potentially look at buying Nov beans out there. Um, a very simple, you know, Nov beans are at $12. So if you just want to buy a, the outright call with no limitation to upside, I'd recommend buying something around 30 cents, which would get you about a $13 call today. Yep, that's a dollar out of the money, you bet. I'm not worried about a dollar in beans. I'm worried about a three, four, five dollar move in beans because we have a major issue somewhere. And as we use more and more oil seeds for biofuels, it doesn't have to always be just a U.S. soybean problem. You know, it can be a rapeseed or canola issue. Uh, it could be a, an energy thing where we see crude oil that's at 70 bucks go to 100 plus because of something that we're unaware of today that could also help drive oil seeds higher. So again, it's you're, you're not trying to outguess 50 cents or a dollar, you're, we're trying to protect multiple dollar moves here. Uh, and, and more importantly, that's an opportunity cost. More importantly, what we're really trying to protect is I don't want to see beans go to 11 or $10 and, and give up this $12. So uh, that we have on, on new crop beans at the moment. But yeah, so similar as corn, just hit the easy button, hit the easy button on the old crop do what the market's telling us i like it 
Simplicity is good in brain marketing, Nathan. I've, I've come to discover yeah. over a decade plus in the business that it does not need to be complicated and, uh, you know, do what the market's telling you. Like, like you've been discussing, um, yeah, the market's inverted for a reason. Your grain's worth more today than it is tomorrow, um, at least from a physical sense. So absolutely. Um, we're here to help you at CBA on that side of things. Um, as you have questions. So uh, Nathan, really great discussion today. Really like your thoughts on South America and just the overall cash grain trade and globally how that's kind of working and kind of the risks to the U.S. balance sheet. We've got some weather premium in these prices today and um, feels like we're going to hit a crossroads in the corn market for sure, probably within the next three weeks um, as we approach the end of the month. So uh, some decisions need to be made in farm country, and uh, the U.S. producer feels pretty undersold uh, on new crop, uh, corn and soybeans both. So um, yeah. a lot of risk out there yet. There sure is. Yeah. And, and there's real simple solutions that that you guys can offer to the farmer that don't have to be exotic. They can be simple and and something we, that are that are easy to explain. And uh, I'll just remind the farmer how fast time goes by. Uh, Southern Texas is expected to start milo harvest uh, next week in the coastal bend area. And in about three to four weeks, they're going to start corn harvest in central Texas, which is about two weeks ahead of normal. So new crop is right around the corner, guys. There you go. A good reminder. Well, Nathan, appreciate your thoughts. Thank you so much for coming back on. We'll have you on again in the future. Um, until thanks then, yep, thanks for, thanks for stopping by, Nathan. Until then, uh, stay safe out there. We will be back at the end of the month to talk through the June 30th acreage and stocks reports. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the CBA Grain Exchange. Stay up to date on all things CBA Grain by signing up for our grain emails at cbacoop.com slash grain or follow us on social media at Central Valley Ag on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tune in next month, and until then, stay safe.